Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Kia ora and welcome to the Have to Cruise Show. I am your host, Helen Brown from Cruise Planners. And this show is pre-recorded, so unfortunately we won't be able to have interaction today, which, as you all know, I love to do. But I am very excited about today's show because we get to talk about my favorite region in the world, and that is Australia, New Zealand, and the South Pacific. We have on the show with us today Matt Greenham from Air New Zealand Vacations, and you will hear an accent in his voice. So just to clarify, I'm a Kiwi from New Zealand. He is an Aussie from Perth. So you will hear the difference between the Australian New Zealand accent. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. Or should Alan, I say, g'day, mate. Yeah, g'day, mate. There you go. <laughs> Kia ora. <laughs> hey, we got you talking Kiwi. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Matt, we're very excited to have you on the show because, as everybody who's listens to my show knows, that I am very biased towards New Zealand and mm-hmm. that area of the world. So anything Australian, New Zealand, South Pacific. I am there, I want to get people down there and get them to see it. So we need to let them know a little bit about who is Air New Zealand Vacations and what is it that you guys actually do? Yeah, thank you. Look, I think, I mean, we have, what we are is we're a a South Pacific wholesale company and we work with travel agents to help build fantastic vacations to the South Pacific. And we're a US company, we're based up here in uh, Seattle, in Washington, and I think really our biggest strength is that w- is what we do is we tailor, um, we customise packages to to travellers' uh, individual needs. So um, we do obviously air and land packages, and we can build itineraries piece by piece from the transfers, the accommodation, the tours. Everything can be completely customised to um, the client's travel wishes. And uh, but we also do um, a lot of other things as well. We work with escorted. Uh, escorted land touring companies so that's where you have like a um, you know an escort it's a coach style touring I guess Um, and um, we do uh, a lot of pre and post cruising packages at the moment as well because cruising is very popular now in the South Pacific for Australia and New Zealand and so what we like to to encourage people to do is if you're going to go all that way down there to for a cruise to to certainly um, spend some time uh, before or after or both, seeing a lot of the places or some of the places that uh, the cruise lines don't uh, don't access quite so well. But yeah, we've, we and we work in the areas, obviously New Zealand, of course, Australia, and we also do the South Pacific Islands, um, in particular Fiji, uh, the Cook Islands, and uh, French Polynesia. Excellent. Now I know with the pre and post cruises. Um, that they actually only do the coast, and when you're doing the coast of a country, you don't actually get to see the inland areas as well. So that's really cool to be able to tack on that land portion either before or after so they get to see the inland areas. Like I know in Australia, people like to go to Ayers Rock and um, or go to other areas where the ships don't get to, and in New Zealand, people are wanting to go to Queenstown, and um, which, of course, is inland, so the ships can't get there. 
and do that adventure, um, being the adventure capital of the world. They want to get in there and do all that adrenaline rush stuff. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And even how in places like, um, even more coastal regions like the, the Great Barrier Reef, because um, mm-hmm. a lot of the cruisers depart from Sydney and they'll they'll kind of head south, but uh, it's difficult. To, a lot of cruise lines don't access the Great Barrier Reef, so it's uh, um, it's it's definitely great to get in there a few, a few days early and go up and experience experience that. But as you say, yeah, of course, Australia is a large country. It's almost as almost as large as the lower 48 states of the US, and um, so of course, there's a lot of fantastic inland areas that that uh, are well worth a look great Australian experiences that the cruise lines tend to miss. Yep, absolutely. So we're going to have a quick look. We're going to, we're going to quickly tour people around the South Pacific, Australia and New Zealand. What is trending now in the South Pacific? I think that um, well, Australia and New Zealand are very still immensely popular. Um, I think um, Australia certainly the, the most, usually a very common first-time visit to Australia is uh, it's almost like the golden triangle. It's the the uh, city rock and reef we like to call it. So that's um, Sydney, Ayers Rock, and uh, the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, that's that's a very common first uh, first time vacation. But what we're tending to find now is that people are starting to venture out a little bit more. There's some really popular places. Uh, Adelaide has become quite a quite a huge. Uh, it's, it's really grown in popularity. Uh, mainly because of the, um, the the natural wildlife encounters of Kangaroo Island out there, mm-hmm. um, and beyond that, uh, so that so that's become quite popular. Melbourne has become immensely popular as well because there's a lot of I love Melbourne. Isn't it great? There's so many things to do around there, and it's not about the city itself. It's just all the cool stuff around there. I love the diversity of Melbourne. I got yeah. to spend three weeks working there one time. And the yeah. diversity there, I mean, in one block here in Koreatown, the next block it's Chinatown, the next one it was Greek, the next one it's <laughs> it was just, I, and I was all within walking distance of my hotel, and I could go and have a meal in a different country every night. It's very multicultural. <laughs> it really is. It's, a, it's an ethnicity melting pot. You've got the Greeks, the Italians, the Chinese, the Vietnamese. And as you say, Helen, you can walk down the street and just and 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 uh, just and, and get flavors from all over the world. And and certainly, that, that's really a microcosm of what Australia is. It's a very multicultural mm-hmm. company. But in Australia, or in Melbourne, it's um, it's it's there's no other place where it's better on display there. But certainly around Melbourne, because um, this is the thing. I mean, a lot of what we do is you you stay in these cities. We, we when we send people down, so we work with travel agents and. Um, guests will go down and they'll base themselves in the city, and then um, um, and then we'll take them on tours that pick up and drop off at the at the hotel. And around Melbourne, you've got fantastic drive, uh, tours like the Great Ocean Road, and then you've mm-hmm. got the the magnificent Penguin Parade. Um, so Melbourne is that's fun to go and watch. Oh yeah, that's incredible. Have that you done that, Helen? So much fun to go and watch. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. It was awesome. Yeah, the penguins are. Are fantastic, but I'll also tell you that Tasmania, Tasmania is really starting to, uh, we're really starting to see a lot more interest in Tasmania. And I think what makes Tasmania um, popular is that it's just a, and I guess we'll talk about New Zealand and self-drive later on. But Tasmania is a fantastic self-drive destination. It's very compact. It's um, it's uh, it's it's it doesn't have a huge population. The driving is easy. It's on the other side of the road, but it's still very easy. 
and uh, and there's just it's one of those places like New Zealand where there's it's not just about getting from one place to another. In between, there's so many different uh, there's so many things mm-hmm. that you can see along the way, and so um, self drive uh, Tasmania vacations are becoming really 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 popular and you only need three or four nights over there I mean more is great but people can go down and have a fantastic uh, self-drive vacation in Tasmania and see um, see uh, and cover a lot of the, a lot of that particular state so it's uh, Tasmania's doing really well excellent so what's trending in the South Pacific Islands well the Cook Islands um, look Fiji and Tahiti Tahiti in particular does very well with the um, with the um, honeymoon market. Um, it's really Tahiti is really the you know I, I guess you could say it's the the, the romantic capital of the world and uh, it's a sort of destination that everybody knows about um, and and it's 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 very popular uh, and Fiji to a lesser extent but certainly a, a place that uh, is really picking up and is lesser known is the Cook Islands and the Cook Islands is in the South Pacific. Um, and it's close by. It's actually on the same time zone as uh, Hawaii. But what's great about the Cook Islands is that Air New Zealand flies directly to the Cook Islands, about a nine to nine and a half hour flight. And of course, it's uh, what we're noticing is it's a. Ver- it's just the thing is the thing about the Cook Islands is it's kind of how the other islands were 20, 30 years ago. So they say they say things like there's no, there's no building there that's that's, that's taller than uh, the tallest coconut tree, you know. So it's the largest prop- <laughs> the largest property in the Cook Islands is is uh, they, they don't have the big resorts, and they like to say that the main island of Rarotonga is like one giant resort, because people are really encouraged to obviously park at your hotel, but you're really encouraged to go out and enjoy the the huge range of restaurants. You can walk into other hotels and use their restaurants. There's uh, there's uh, um, basically, what they say about the the bus route there, they've got uh, there's a, a road that goes around the whole island. It's about 22 miles, and there's two buses. One's clockwise, and the other one's anti-clockwise. And uh, <laughs> it's just a very easy to get around, and you can get. But look, so it depends it's becoming, if you want to wind up or unwind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, there you go. You kind of got to go both ways to uh, to to make sure you you're, you're back to centre again. But look, it's um, people. I think in America are starting to realise that. Um, you know, look, the, the resort vacations are fantastic, and we you know, we talk about Hawaii and Fiji and Tahiti and mm-hmm. Caribbean destinations. But the Cook Islands is something special. It's a lot more laid back. Um, it doesn't have the big resort feel. You also get a lot of Australians and New Zealanders um, that visit the Cook Islands, so it's uh, it, it has that kind of uh, it has that real casual kind of uh, laid back South Pacific feel about it. Um, so, and and also the other thing about the Cook Islands. Uh, and what what we we tend to notice is that it's we sell a lot of it as a pre or post vacation with New Zealand or Australia. So, for example, the honeymoon market. Some people liked on their honeymoons like to go down to New Zealand and, and get into some real adventure that Helen was talking about earlier. And then maybe on the way home they want to have their romantic uh, their romantic time. So they'll spend three or four nights in the Cook Islands, um, and that's. Uh, that's 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 what we're noticing. So it's it's good. But the South Pacific Islands are just very very popular, and certainly in the mindset of the American traveller. Excellent. I know my um, I haven't been to Rarotonga, but my parents went a few years ago, and they had an absolute blast over there. Oh, it's they beautiful. They absolutely Helen. loved it, and they said yeah. that it was um, it was just so untouched. Is how they yes. came back and described it. Um, and the people were just amazing, and the scenery was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, 
but I remember they they had these flowers called frangipanis, very high potent flowers with a smell. And oh, the frangipanis, my, yeah. Oh yeah, and my uncle found out about them the hard way because his sister-in-law to be bought over boxes of frangipanis from Rarotonga to New Zealand for their wedding flowers, and they made all the but, the buttonholes and the boutonnieres and the mm. um and the bouquets with the frangipanis, and then my father decided that my uncle's overnight bag needed some spicing up for some frangipanis. <laughs> wow. And I got blamed for that for years. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those flowers from coming from Rarotonga, and they were yeah. absolutely beautiful flowers. Yeah. And that's on my list to go to go over there and see that. They have an incredible, um, incredible smell. But no, you're right, Helen. It, it's, yeah. it's just a... It's just a it's just a beautiful place, and it's uh, Itataki, which is the lesser known island, but um, has uh, arguably the most beautiful lagoon in the world. And so, quite often, uh, people will go and spend a few nights on Rarotonga, and then another couple of nights on Itataki. It's a beautiful scenic uh, it's a scenic flight. It's about forty five minutes between the two islands, and um, certainly a, a, a vacation that captures both those areas. is a well rounded trip to the Cook Islands. It's stunning. Excellent. Okay, so we've covered what the, what's hot in the South Pacific, covered what's hot in Australia. What's hot in New Zealand right now? Yeah, New Zealand is, um, I mentioned those three places in Australia that's, that uh, people tend to go to, like just for your standard 10 to 12 night vacation, first time mm-hmm. visit to Australia. And, and certainly in, in New Zealand, they have their three key locations, and that's Auckland, Rotorua, and uh, in Queenstown, all roads lead to Queenstown, Helen. <laughs> of course but, they do. <laughs> and with good reason. I absolutely reason, love incredible. Queenstown. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. But look, I think um, I think what's really trending at the moment is that the South. Most people that go to New Zealand, certainly when I was back in in uh, in, a, in my working capacity, where I was actually building itineraries, people would sort of overlook the North Island a bit. Would you agree? Absolutely. Well. I, yeah. A lot of people, when they talk to me about New Zealand, they want to go for the scenery. And, of course, everybody knows the South Island That's has more right. scenery available down yep. there than the North Island does. But the That's North right. Island has its little hidden places and has some great stuff to see and do there as well. It really does. And whether it's through our efforts or, or just people are starting to wise up, the North Island is becoming a lot more popular. And I think part of that is because the tourism in- infrastructure on the on the North Island has improved greatly over the last 10, 15 years, probably to mm-hmm. try and catch up with the South Island. But people would typically spend, you know, maybe three or four nights on the North Island and then spend uh, seven or eight nights on the South Island. But look, yeah. the North Island has incredible regions. One area that is growing in popularity is the Bay of Islands. Now, that's north of Auckland, and a lot of people don't really associate New Zealand with amazing beaches, but the Bay of Islands has absolutely incredible beaches, and the water is a lot warmer than people think. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great region. And then um, the wine region, the, the, the wine trail that extends down from Napier or Hawke's Bay all, all the way down to Wellington is also becoming extremely popular. And that's just a great, uh, a great trip down the coast where there's lots of great little boutique wineries. And, and of course, Napier itself is just a stunning town. It's just a, and people are actually starting to... Napier's really starting to um, assert itself on the North Island because it's a... Actually, it's, it's an Art Deco town, and it has the highest concentration of Art Deco buildings in the world, uh, in, in New Zealand of all places. In the 30s. It did. Yeah, there was a horrible earthquake there, wasn't there? And they well, decided it got, to... It got a little bit of a shake-up. It destroyed everything. <laughs> so they had to rebuild, and it happened to be the 30s, and 
Art Deco was the thing to do. But that, I would say this, right. I love Napier. Napier yes. is a beautiful city. I love and it you too. can do some really great tours around there in um, cars from the 1930s. They do an Art Deco tour, and they have people dressed in period costume from the 1930s that will take you yes. in these old cars on these drives around the city. They're phenomenal. It, I, I did that in May, actually. I'd been there a few times before, but in May I did that. You know, you get in the old car, and they take you mm-hmm. around, and they're all dressed up. And it, it's, it's like that place is stuck in time, and they've done such an amazing job of preserving their, you know, their, their, their Absolutely. Their region. I mean, you really do feel like you're um, <laughs> back in the 30s and 40s. It's it's a quite quite incredible experience. So so yeah. Look, and 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 of course Napier is just a great launching point for for so many things around. I mean, the Bay of Plenty is beautiful. Um, it's doing well. And look, I think Wellington, Wellington, I think is Wellington is a beautiful city, and it it's always suffered a little bit for tourism, I think, only because people sort of get to Auckland, they might go to Rotorua, and then they go to Queenstown, they fly straight over the top of Wellington. And Wellington is just beautiful. It's a fantastic coastal city, and there's so much around there. You've got that whole Martinborough wine region, which mm-hmm. people love. And then, um, really an experience that shouldn't be missed is to get that ferry, take that ferry through the Cook Strait, Helen, <laughs> down to... Uh, down to Picton. Depending on the we- I will I will have to say this. Depending on the weather. <laughs> oh, we don't want to talk about the weather. Because I have been on that ferry in twelve and <laughs> nine to twelve meter swells. Yeah, yeah. And I have been sitting and I I do perfectly fine on the ferries. I do not get motion sickness. Right. I plant myself out behind the back of the bar area where it's three sides, so it's sheltered with the roof over it, and you've got an open area. <laughs> and I have been sitting there reading in nine to twelve meter swells, and we're talking meters here, not feet, but meters. Or yards, um, and there have been people around me who have been in, with their heads stuck in paper bags, throwing up. And my husband came out to me one time, and he looked at me, and he goes, "What are you doing out here?" And I said, "Reading." And he said, "But is none of this bothering you?" I went, "No." I said, "I've got fresh air." I said, "What else do I need?" Right. Yeah, it can get a little bit rough, but uh, on a calm yeah. day, <laughs> it is. On a calm fun. day, it is gorgeous. And going through those Marlborough Sounds, oh, oh yeah. my gosh, I then, that is my favorite part of the journey. And then, of course, when you get to the other end, when you get to Picton, pick up a rental car, and uh, and and then you've got all that, you know, in the north of the South Island. There, you've got the Abel Tasman National Park, and you've oh. got all that Marlborough wine region, where a lot of the wines you see in the U.S. come mm-hmm. from. The Marlborough, there, very famous for its Pinots. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is. Or you can jump on the train and uh, and uh, oh, take the. Amazing. Oh, we haven't even talked about that, have we? It's a good, a great train ride. You can get off the ferry and jump on the the transcoastal train there and 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 head down to uh, Christchurch. But look, I think if I was to summarise um, one area that really is trending, one area that's really grown uh, recently is uh, is self drive. And I talked about this in Tasmania, but people just seem to be less afraid of getting a car and, uh, and and driving around. And I think the biggest fear Americans have is that driving, of course, in the South Pacific is on the other side of the road. But what you've got to remember about... And you're about sitting is, on the other side of the car as well. And you, <laughs> well, and you're sitting on the other side of the car to make it even more confusing. But I think... The pedals what, are all uh, in the same place. <laughs> the, yeah, right, just on the other side of the car. Um, <laughs> but I think what's uh, great, what's what's what I the message I try to get out there is that New Zealand is relatively remote. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. you've got Auckland. I mean, what is there about four and a half million people in New Zealand, and about uh, like one and, and, a, and about half the population lives in the North Island. Yeah. Um, a quarter a quarter of the population is in the South Island. The yeah. rest of it's in the North Island, and half the population lives in Auckland. That's right. So once you're out of the big cities, or of which there's really only one, once you pick up a car and you're out of Auckland, it's country driving. 
So you know, I think yeah. the worst. I, look, Sydney is a is is an example of a place that I mean, I I can't stand driving in Sydney. It's just a really busy city, and when people ask me about driving in Sydney or they want to rent a car and have a car in Sydney for three days, I say absolutely no way, don't do it. it it's horrific. <laughs> but um, but certainly New Zealand, yeah, but New Zealand, Auckland is not Auckland is a relatively small city. But once you're out of Auckland, yeah, but it's the traffic driving. can be a little can be a little fun on the traffic. Oh yes, things. it can, especially coming out heading heading south. But yeah. I guess my point is, once you're out, it's country driving the whole way, and mm-hmm. um, and you, you know there's areas where you can drive for an hour and not really see anyone, and you can just. But the benefit, of course, is that you, there's just so many little things to do along the way. So between points A and B, there's lots of little things that you can do, lots of little places that you can eat and. Um, it's uh, it's good. So self driving, I always recommend. That's one of my first questions to people: is would you know would you be interested in driving? Because that's the to me that's the true essence of a, of a New Zealand vacation. Well, the one thing I like about the self drive thing too is that the is the scenery is always changing. You can oh, be driving yes. down one road and you go from um, hilly, windy into flat desert, yeah. into forest, into coast, all on one road. Yes. And that can be, I mean, even just driving from Auckland up to the Bay of Islands, it's just under three hours to drive that. And you go through native bush, you go through coastal roads, you go through wine regions, you go through... It's just incredible um, in that three hours what you will go through. And if you're heading down to Wellington, it's a six, what, six and a half, seven hour drive. Yes. And you'll go through mountains, you'll go through desert, you'll go through um, forests, you'll go through farmland, cities, towns, it's all there. It's yeah. just amazing how much we fit into such a small space. That's right. And diversity, <laughs> the diversity is kind of the word we use when we talk about New Zealand because mm-hmm. I know people don't, people don't really associate desert with New Zealand, but there is, um, there is little desert regions, isn't there? We have a desert region, we do. It's called the mm. Desert Road and in the wintertime it can get lost under snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It is. It's just, you know, from, from point A to point B there is... There is it's just such a such a changing landscape in such a small space. I mean, I think that New I think New Zealand its total area is about the size of Colorado. Correct yep. me if I'm wrong, Helen. Um, mm-hmm. So that sort of puts it into perspective for you for your listeners. Well, I always tell people when they go, "Well, what's New Zealand like?" and I say, "Well, it's really hard to describe New Zealand because it's an experience." That's I said, true. But the best way to des- the best way to describe it physically is take all 50 states, squish it into an area the size of Colorado. At four yep. and a half million people, sixty million sheep surrounded by water, and there's New Zealand. <laughs> That's right. And what about Dunedin? That was the best way I could think of to describe it, because we have yeah. whatever they've got in the fifty states, we have a little bit of it in New Zealand, in somewhere. That's right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's all cool. there. Um, so now let's talk. We've talked about what's trending and all that. What are some of the hidden gems in the South Pacific Islands? that people don't know about, that they, if they're going to go to the South Pacific, if they're going to go to like the Cook Islands or if they're going to go to Fiji, Tahiti, what are some of the areas that are little hidden gems that not many people know about, like off the beaten path type of places? Yeah, I think um, in the Cook Islands, I think what's great about the Cook Islands is that, well, certainly Fiji, I think people, what's important is that, for people to know is that, um, the three islands, or the three areas that we've been talking about in the, in the South Pacific Islands, so Fiji, French Polynesia, and uh, the Cook Islands, they're very, very um, 
very different. It, it's very experiential, um, and what's mm-hmm. important, what's a, a big part of uh, what they offer is the culture. Now, um, the culture in um, Fiji is Melanesian, and um, it's just this. Fiji is the kind of place that when people leave, they they cry because. It's almost like you're leaving your family. The Melanesian culture mm-hmm. is very welcoming. They're very over the top. They're bula bula bula. They, you know, they just really want to. Uh, they're so ingratiating and they're really friendly. Um, and so people leave and they almost feel like they're leaving their friends behind. Yeah. That is uh, that is cool. But look, I think what you want to do in Fiji is you fly into the main island. But what, what you really want to do, you don't, I mean, the main island is fine, and you might stay a night there depending on the flights, but what you want to do is you want to get out to the smaller islands. So there's the Mamanutha group of islands, and you can catch a, catch a ferry out there. And, um, and, and also, there's, uh, there's, uh, Fiji has some of the best scuba diving in the world. And that's up in an area called Savu Savu, and that's a short flight. So if anyone's really interested in scuba diving, a lot of people don't know that Fiji is has. I mean, look, all of all of all of the islands have great scuba diving, but this area up in Savu Savu um, and has uh, some of the the most diverse coral and the di- uh, incredible range of tropical fish on the planet. So that's that's really something to to bear in mind. And Jacques Cousteau. The, the famous um, mm-hmm. explorer, yeah. explorer. He actually has his own um, has his own property up in uh, up in this region. So it just gives you an example of this is an area where he decided to set up his uh, his uh, facilities because of the, the you know because <coughs> it's an incredible place to dive. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly uh, Tahiti, or um, it, it's, it's kind of similar in the sense that you fly to the main island of Tahiti, but what you want to do from there is get out to uh, Morea and Bora Bora, and and I think what what a lot of people do is um, you know they'll fly in, spend a night in, in in the big island of Tahiti just to just so it coordinates with the flights, yep. and you can go to uh, Morea. Now the thing about Morea is that you can fly to Morea, but it's actually quite close, and I think it's best just to get in a boat. There's a ferry service that runs out to Morea, and um, what people do there is they'll spend a few nights in Morea, and then they'll fly on to Bora Bora. I usually leave Bora Bora to the end because it's generally considered the more spectacular of the islands. But I'll just give you a little tip here. The thing about the thing about Tahiti is that everyone gets excited about the overwater bungalows, and the overwater bungalows are absolutely fantastic. But a lot of people that go to Tahiti um, once they, you know, it's not it's not an inexpensive exercise um, mm. to stay in an overwater bungalow. But so what we often do is we'll say to people, look, you want the overwater bungalow experience? Why don't you go to Marea? Get a beachside villa or something like that. Save some money there, and then fly on and do that for three or four nights, and then fly on to Bora Bora and get your overnight or get your overwater bungalow experience there. Or you could do it the other way. You could do it in Marea and then get you know stay at a villa on on Bora Bora. So that's that's something because a lot of people I think just look at it and go, oh, it's way too expensive. I can't do it. But you don't have to do it the yeah. whole time if you just want an experience of the overwater bungalow. Then uh, that's that's a really good way to do it. Nice compromise. I actually had a honeymoon couple one time that we did that with. We um, yeah. they wanted the overwater experience, so we did it for. They flew in. Um, we spent them a couple of nights on the main island. Then they went to Marea. They did the beachside villa thing, and then yep. in Bora Bora they spent two nights over on the overwater bungalow as the final thing before they flew home again. Perfect. And they loved yep. it. 
finish on a high note because I mean mm-hmm. the accommodations other than the because you got to remember all these resorts as you know Helen they have lots of different accommodation styles they start with garden villas and they have beachfront villas yep. and and all this sort of stuff and even and some then, of the garden uh, villas get gorgeous views because oh, these gardens there are phenomenal tropical, beautiful tropical gardens yeah and then I think um, and look the thing about uh, French Polynesia is is it's uh, it's very different from Fiji the the uh, the culture there is Polynesian, and there the people there are a lot more standoffish. And I think the difference is that people there, um, because it's because it's such a romance capital, um, people um, the people that work there just tend to want to stand back and let let couples enjoy their time there. So it's uh, it's got a very if you went from Fiji to Poly, to a French Polynesia, you would you would almost probably think that they were rude, but it's not that at all. It's just that they. <laughs> it's just Three that they culture. <laughs> well that's right yeah but that's just that they're not yes. you know the, the, it's, it's sort of like I mean the the Melanesian culture is just so over the top friendly and then you go to French Polynesia where it's just it's standoffish and then a feel kind of in between that is on the Cook Islands where you're still getting that uh, and there's a lot of Maori influence because the Cook Islands are part of the uh, part of New Zealand so the, and it's on Absolutely, the New Zealand yeah. dollar but I mentioned it earlier but I think if you're going to take a trip to uh the Cook Islands. If you have a chance to go to Aitutaki and do Rarotonga and Aitutaki, that's uh, that's just uh, that really rounds out the trip. And what you can do, because there's direct flights within New Zealand to the Cook Islands, it's to be a five-night trip, round trip. There's one flight a week there and one flight a week back. You can do three nights in Rarotonga and then two nights in Aitutaki. That's a very popular itinerary. Um, and you could also do that, like I said, as a pre or post. But um, they Rarotonga has uh, the island of Rarotonga. They have fantastic markets. There's a nice little tip there. They've got some some really cool markets there. You can pick up some trinkets, and you, I think markets anywhere. You just really get a feel for the culture, and you get an idea of. Um, you get to talk to a lot of the locals, and um, but they have a, a very vibrant um, um, market market facilities there. So, uh, but look. Get a get a moped, get a, a little bike, and drive around Rarotonga. It's all about spending as much, getting out. They're almost throwing you out of the hotels. Go and explore. Go and have a look around. <laughs> and the, the center of Rarotonga is all tropical, so it's kind of like Fiji. It's kind of like the areas of French Polynesia, where you've got these unbelievably stunning beaches, and then you sort of go up into the mountains, and you've got the beautiful tropics. Hawaii as well. Uh, they all mm-hmm. look very different. They all feel very different. But it's yep. just uh, lush, amazing rainforest, and uh, and certainly there's a lot of tours that take you out into that glorious rainforest as well. So if you can drag yourself off the beach, we highly recommend that. Okay, so what would be some hidden gems in Australia? Something off the yeah. path that people don't know about that they should see. Yes. Do. Okay. Well, I think I think uh, I'll to name just a few. Heron Island. Mm-hmm. Now, Heron Island. Not as easily accessed, but what I love about Heron Island is that it's on the Great Barrier Reef. It's not overly expensive. Um, and this is an island that's actually on the Great Barrier Reef. It's very small. Take you about 25 minutes to walk around the whole thing. It's got a great little four-star resort. And the coolest thing about it is that you can walk off the beach and you are on the Great Barrier Reef. You can go and see wow. unbelievable coral and fish right off the beach. And there's several islands... There's certainly other islands that you can do this in the Great Barrier Reef. There's Lizard Island. Lizard Island is fantastic, and that's up near Cairns. But it's you know it's more of an exclusive five plus star resort. Um, there's uh, there's several areas, but this place, Heron Island, is relatively affordable, and it is, and particularly if you're a scuba diver, um, it's just a, a fantastic place to 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 experience the Great Barrier Reef. Because as you know, Helen, 
Great Barrier Reef is not. A lot of people think that you go up to a place like Cairns, which is the gateway, one of the big gateways mm-hmm. to the Great Barrier Reef, and you walk off the beach and you, you know, you've got all that incredible coral, but it's not like that at all. Most um, people that go up there will really you realise that it's about a one and a half, two hour um, trip on fast luxury ferry out to the reef itself, uh, which is fine. To see Great Barrier Reef in a day trip is fantastic, but for people that want to spend some time on the reef and doing some snorkeling and diving, Heron Island is a great spot. Um, well, that's cool because I know lots of sco- lots of divers and ones that want to go to Great Barrier, so that would be a good place for them to base themselves to do all their exploration around that area then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another another place that's kind of in that same area, just north of Brisbane, is um, Fraser Island. Mm-hmm. Now, Fraser Island is... Um, and I think a lot, the reason why a lot of these places fall off the map a bit is because they're not as easily accessible. And it's not that they're hard to get to. It's just that if someone has a 10 or 12-day itinerary or even two weeks, they're going to want to try and maximise their time by limiting the, the travel. And yep. Fraser Island is another one of, the, is one of those places where it's, it, it takes a little bit of time to, to get there. But Fraser Island is basically the largest uh, sandy island in the world, which doesn't mean a lot to many people but it's a it's a huge it's a huge island and it's really cool because what they have is they have the beaches they have these huge big wide beaches which are like uh, freeways because the big thing that people do on Fraser Island is uh, four-wheel driving and so you've got these incredibly beautiful beaches and then in the middle it's like uh, a beautiful tropical rainforest and what they have also is a, a whole a whole bunch of these incredibly pristine lakes and these lakes are incredible and beautiful silica white sand and and then the crystal clear beautiful waters and and uh, you don't have to four-wheel drive there's a great um, resort out there called kingfisher bay and we have these packages that you can organize through helen and travel agents where um it's like a two or three night tour and so you stay on this is a great resort on Fraser Island, and then uh, you do day trips out to see these amazing lakes and through the rainforest. And there's lots of wildlife there as well. And you see a lot of dingoes. There's a lot of dingoes on Fraser Island. Um, and kangaroos, it's just a, a beautiful spot. So Fraser Island, another place that sort of falls off the beaten track. And then, um, oh, what else we got? I could carry on all day. I'll talk about Perth, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I probably shouldn't talk about Perth because I'm a little biased. Um, but what about... Um, <laughs> hey, I'm biased towards New Zealand, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, um, the top end of Western Australia, absolutely stunning country up there. And this is some of the most remote country in the world. For people that are really looking for a unique Australian experience, if they're the sort of people that like to go to places that many people don't, the northwest of Western Australia is just stunning. Um, it's incredibly remote. You've got amazing land formations like the Bungle Bungles, and it's up there where they have a lot of uh, Australian safaris it's a safari country where you could take a three or four day safari and there's also luxury safari um luxury safari tour companies that mm-hmm. that really get you um uh out and amongst the uh what's truly special about the northwest of western australia and then of course helen if you head even further north you've got the whole top end of the northern territory as well yep. so we're talking about places like um darwin and you get out of darwin and then you've got kakadu and and uh, and of course, then you've got the iconic train journeys as well. So you've got the Garn train journey, which runs from Adelaide all the way up to Darwin. Then you've got the Indian Pacific, which runs from east to west. It's a beautiful three-night train journey from Sydney all the way over to Perth. But I think um, for Australia, it's just about mixing up your uh, mixing up your experiences. Do a little bit of train, a little bit of flying, a bit of coaching, some private touring, 
there's uh, some safari. There's just so many diverse experiences to be had. But a lot of people spend most of their time on the on sort of the east coast of Australia because yep. admittedly mm-hmm. that's where most of the stuff is. But certainly Western Australia has some, uh, and the top end of the Northern Territory has some real gems. And it's a good sailing out of Perth too. There is great sailing out of Perth. They did the America's Cup there one year. Yeah, that's right. We won the America's Cup in uh, 1983, and then uh, that's in Perth or Fremantle. The port of Fremantle is where they defended the America's Cup, but we we didn't actually defend it. We lost it straight back to the Americans. (laughs) And then the New Zealanders started winning it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We didn't have it for long. Down New Zealanders, what are you going to do with them? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, New Zealand's had a great run with the America's Cup. But yeah, you're right, Helen, incredible sailing in, in Western Australia. It's just very consistent winds out there. Yep. And uh, oh, they used to have a term for the, for the. I remember there was one race where there was like no wind. Mm-hmm. You had the, it was America's Cup, and these yachts are just sitting there in the water, and the, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the and the water was like a mirror. There yes. was nothing. There was mm-hmm. no breezes, no nothing, and these poor yachtsmen are just sitting out there, mm-hmm. wait, trying, looking for a breeze, nothing, and the water was like a mirror. It was just yep. unbelievable. And I, they also had some term for the. The wind out there too, which I can't. The Fremantle Doctor. The Fremantle Doctor. Thank you. I knew there was something about doctors in there. And, um... <laughs> no, you're right. Because what happens is, what happens out in Western Australia is, particularly in the summer when, when this is when you get the prime winds, is that the hot air blows from the east over the desert, right? So from from mm-hmm. Ayers Rock and all these places, and this is a this wind comes and brings all the heat, and then. Um, like clockwork at about 1 or 2 in the afternoon, the wind changes directions 180 degrees and blows in off the ocean. And all of a sudden, Perth cools down, the west coast cools down. So because it's so relieving, um, we call that the, the Fremantle Doctor. Doctor. And, uh, yep. and that's, that's the perfect winds to sail in because they're all onshore winds, so you're not, get blown, not getting blown, <laughs> blown out to sea. So, uh, yeah, the Fremantle Doctor. It's very, very Excellent. Very, Thank uh, you famous. for reminding me of that term because I remember that term and I was... I was and I can remember the description of it as well, but I just couldn't, yep. I could never remember what it was called. Okay, mm. so now we're going to go across the Tasman Sea mm-hmm. to New Zealand. And what are some hidden gems that you know of in New Zealand? I think Dunedin is um, a very special place. And uh, what's great about it is that it's very close to Queenstown. Um, mm-hmm. And most people will end up in Queenstown. But Dunedin is as cute. All roads lead to Queenstown. (laughs) They do, Um, but yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons why all roads lead to Queenstown is because there's just so much to do from Queenstown. I mean, you could you could stay in Queenstown for two weeks and do a different thing every day, and one of those things you can do is head out to Dunedin and and never run out of things to do. (laughs) No, that's right. It's a pretty incredible place, and Dunedin you can actually get. to from Queenstown, um, it's certainly a good area to have a car. But if not, you can get like a train and a, it's a bus service that runs um, from Queenstown to Dunedin. And look, Dunedin has um, some very special stuff. It's a very Scottish-influenced town. They actually have their own castle, which I think is one of the one of the only uh, castles in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, <laughs> not too many castles outside of Europe. But what what is fantastic about Dunedin, what really brings the crowds in, is the Otago Peninsula. And here mm-hmm. you can see um, the nesting grounds of the um, albatross, and there's some penguins and seals. It's just, and all all over New Zealand, you just find that there's this incredible wildlife. But that is a a real concentration, a real hive of um, of, uh, of wildlife. So Dunedin is a very very special place. Um, it's also another the Dunedin cor- borough of the south. Yes, there you go, and. Yeah. Um, 
Another good place that I should mention is, uh, well, I have to mention the um, the Transalpine Train, which isn't necessarily a hidden gem. I think most people know about this. But the Transalpine Train runs from Christchurch. It's about a four- to five-hour trip. You've done that before, have you not, Helen? I did. I hopped on the train one morning, and we went all the way across to Greymouth, got off. We had about 30 minutes in Greymouth. And then we got back on and rode it all the way back to Christchurch again. Oh, wow. You did it both ways. Well, I'll tell you what. Both ways in one day. It was awesome. Yeah. It's really good. It's something, it's something to get excited about. I mean, what it's, it, essentially what it is is this train ride that goes from one side of New Zealand to the other. Mm-hmm. And it cuts through the, the, the Southern Alps. So all that incredible, iconic Alpine scenery that people are so familiar with through the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies or... Or just uh, and so you cut straight through that, and so it's just absolutely. So it's one of the rated as one of the ten best um, scenic rail journeys in the world. And yep, um, I would totally agree with that. And what people do is they'll uh, they'll they'll. It's also a great means of getting from one side of the island to the other. And when you get to the other mm-hmm. end of the island, you can or you can pick up a rental car or jump on a bus, and then drive that two to three hours south of there. And you're at the, the amazing glacier region. So you've got the Franz Josef glaciers and the um, and Fox glaciers. And then from there, people can drive down towards Queenstown. Again, all roads leads to Queenstown. Queenstown. <laughs> but um, but that, that's, um, the Transalpine train is just an absolute must. And um, if people are uh, really looking for something something adventurous. And it's, always, it's also an amazing kind of engineering feat in itself because there's tunnels and bridges. And, um, Some of those it's, bridges it's, are pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's it's amazing that they're able to do this, but it's good. I and think the way the, tra- the track curves, you can actually look back at yes. some of these engineering feats as well. So even though you're on the train and you're going over these amazing bridges or yeah. you're hugging the cliffs, you can then, if you, as you go around the curves, you look back at where you've come from and you can actually see where you've um, where you've come from and you, can, and, it's, and you get to see these bridges, you get to see how they have the track hugged up against the hillside and that sort of stuff as well. So yeah, it makes that's it right. pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it is. It's beautiful. And I think that's the thing about Christchurch. I think people have sort of tended to shy away from Christchurch a little bit since the, um, since the earthquake a few years back. But look, it's, it's, to me what's exciting about Christchurch is not so much the city itself. It's more about what's around Christchurch. Um, you've got Akaroa, which is the, the, um, the port town. It. It's so cute. It's a little French, like a little French-influenced town. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And they've got incredible marine life down there. So you've got whales mm-hmm. and, and the um, the Hector dolphins, those tiny little dolphins down there, and mm-hmm. uh, great wildlife. And even so, that's that's a great trip. And and then you've got you've actually got tours that will take you. They're like smaller group tours, and they'll take you out into the Alpine regions, into the centre, and you'll even get to jump on the Transalpine train for just a, a short segment. And and, that, and so you can get the train experience, and then they have a little bit of jet boating. And so Christchurch is really about what's around. And look, I'll say Christchurch certainly got hit pretty hard with this earthquake, but it has made an incredible recovery. And I think eight or nine hotels have reopened this year because one of the biggest mm-hmm. problems they had was they just didn't have enough room to put people. Um, so don't don't discount Christchurch. And Kaikoura is another little gem that you can. That's a great tour that you can do from from um, Christchurch. Or as you're driving down, if you say you get off the, the, the ferry and you pick up a car and you, you drive down towards Christchurch, maybe a night or two in Kaikoura, they've got some fantastic whale watching out of there. And the other place um, the other place I'll mention, and I hadn't been here before, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic, was Ta- we're back on the North Island now, is Taupo. Taupo's Lake, amazing. 
Lake Taupo, absolutely incredible. Yeah, and that was where I did my first bungee jump. And it's also... Uh, <laughs> But it's it's beautiful, and I, I tell you what's really huge with with Taupo, and it has been for a long, long time, is the is the fly fishing. Fly trout fishing, fishing in Taupo, yeah. yeah, is is huge. It's one of recognises one of the premier trout fishing and fly fishing uh, regions of the world, in fact. So, uh, but beyond that, and here, it's and here's yeah. a little known fact about trout and about trout fishing in New Zealand is yeah. that in New Zealand we actually have no commercial trout fishing, so yeah. you will not find any trout on any menu in any restaurant. But in the areas where there are lots of trout fishing, there are restaurants that will clean and cook your trout that you catch for you. Yes. But you won't find it on any menus. And I think that's that's a really cool thing because they're um, keeping away from Because if they were commercial fishing, we wouldn't have the trout fishing that we have. Yeah, that's right. That's why it's so easy to get a catch. They can almost guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of my little hidden gems in New Zealand is, is Taranaki. Um, mm-hmm. It's out there on the west coast. If you look at the west coast of North Island, there's that little hump there on the west coast. That's Taranaki. It's got a phenomenal mountain there in the middle of it. I actually lived on. I actually lived in a little town there for eight years. And um, so there's some great surfing in that area for the surfers. There's some phenomenal gardens. They've got Pukeiti up there, which is like the rhododendron capital. You go yeah. there around October, and it's just blooming with rhododendrons and azaleas, so for the gardeners, a great place to go. They have um, Pukirua Park there, which is just a phenomenal park that has the um, the bowl area there where they have outdoor concerts, but um, phenomenal gardens to walk through. And um, Mount Taranaki has some great, very easy walking trails on it too. Um, it's interesting you like men- mentioned the west coast of the North Island there, Helen, because for whatever Not reason, people, people just don't there. tend to make it over there, do they? They kind no, of get down don't. to Rotorua and then head to the east coast of the North Island. And uh, yep. but you're right, there's some great gems out there. I mean, you're talking about area around New Plymouth, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And great surfing for those that love to surf. And mm. um, it's just it's just one of those areas of New Zealand that people don't think a lot about. And yeah. if you look at at movie locations, Mount Taranaki was actually used as a substitute for Mount Fuji in the movie mm-hmm. The Last Samurai with um, starring Tom Cruise. Oh wow. <laughs> So, you know, mm. if you want to know what, because Mount Taranaki looks very similar to Mount Fuji, but they couldn't use Mount Fuji because there was so much build-up around it. And in Taranaki, it's all farmland. A lot of dairy farming gets done in Taranaki. And that, mm-hmm. and, the, um, and things grow very well in that area because of the volcanic soil. And right. I remember when we lived there, my dad, 30 minutes after a rainstorm, and I'm, we're talking a rainstorm, he could go out and mow the lawns. <laughs> because wow. the drainage was so good. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a beautiful area that not many people get to. And you follow that down, you go through Wanganui, um, and you've got the Great River there in Wanganui, along with this big water tower that you can walk up, and it's this big hike up this water tower. But I've done that several yep. times, and you get to the top, and you get these incredible views out over this beautiful city of Wanganui, and again, another little hidden gem that not many people know about. Um, but one of my favourite areas has got to be the Coromandel Peninsula. Oh yeah, that beautiful. is just a phenomenal. Phenom- we're talking beaches before; they have phenomenal beaches on there. But some of them are not safe for swimming in. But some have little things like hot water beach, where two hours mm-hmm. either side of low tide, you can dig a hole in the sand and you get mm-hmm. your own little personal jacuzzi. Yeah, <laughs> that's really <laughs> cool. The water that bubbles up through the sand, and it's you know little places like that that people don't know about. And and the Coromandel to get there is only a two-hour drive from Auckland, and you can actually do. I know. 
we offer day tours also out to um, from Auckland, so people staying in Auckland they can do a tour out to the Coromandel Peninsula. So it's very mm-hmm. all these places are really easily accessed, but um, they're just not yeah just not necessarily mentioned or talked about a lot in in standard tourist uh, tourism circles. Yeah, which is exactly, a shame. and and if you're going up the if you're going up, we we're talking Bay of Islands earlier. There mm. is a phenomenal day trip that you can do from the Bay of Islands that takes you all the way up um, to the top end of the North Island up to Cape Rianga, and it yeah. actually takes you on 90 mile beach and yep. you're driving through the surf in a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take you up the creek and they stop partway up the creek and there is these giant sand dunes and some of the buses actually have um, these boards on board that you ta- that you walk up the sand dunes on and you can sandboard down the dunes and yes. a phenomenal experience for those that are a little adventurous and um, when we did that when we were taking my husband around New Zealand and we were up there um, my parents got the boards out and they climbed you know they're, they're now 70s and they're, 70, mm-hmm. they're just turned 70 but they're in their 60s at the time they're climbing these sand dunes and sandboarding down I've got videotape of my parents sandboarding on these giant sand dunes <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, incredible experiences like that and um then going up to Cape Rianga and they drop you off to this place and you just walk down the trail out to the lighthouse there and you and you can stand and you can see where the Tasman Sea and the Pacific Ocean meet each other. So you have yes. the green of the Tasman, the blue of the Pacific, they're coming together. And one thing I learned this last trip I did that I had never known before is the um, is that um, they, there's a 20-minute difference in high tides between the two oceans. Oh, wow. And I did not know that. And so when you're looking out there you see this white ridge of water out there and I thought that was where the seas met and it's like no it's because of this 20 minute difference in the tides and I was yeah. like that is pretty cool yeah so, it's it's pretty amazing stuff and then you have um, it's good and like you can stay a few nights up in the Bay of Islands I mean you really need to mm-hmm. enjoy it stay up oh, in Russell or around Kerry yeah. Kerry or um, and uh, just go to Kawa Kawa and check there. out the public toilets that were done by some <laughs> designer somewhere <laughs> I, Helen, I got to tell you, I remember last year one of um, there was I heard about a famil where there was a big Kiwi Link event last year, and there was a famil and the famil they were they were exploring the Bay of Islands, and they they um, someone had mentioned these these toilets that you refer to, and uh, which are really quite interesting, and they they actually went an hour and a half off their off their path to go and to see, go them. see them. Yeah, yep. and half the people there were like, really? We just went an hour and a half to see I mean, it's kind of cool, but probably not worth an hour and a half deviation. But yeah, it's <laughs> just so a little crazy things you can and do. You happen, and you happen to be in... Well, you know, talking crazy things to do. I remember growing up in New Zealand, there was times like when I was living in Wellington, and I said, oh, we want a burger. So we would actually go down to the waterfront, get on the ferry, go the three-and-a-half-hour trip across on the ferry to Picton, get off in yeah. Picton, because there was this phenomenal burger place there in Picton, go have our burger... Walk around Picton for a little bit, get back on the ferry, and go back across again. Oh, you know, do funny. crazy stuff like that just for a burger. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's amazing what people will do. Um, and look, there is a there's a couple of other things. I mean, just uh, there's uh, there's a, there's actually a train ride that people don't. It's not as popular, but it, it actually goes from Auckland all the way down to Wellington. And that's for people mm-hmm. that uh, just really want to see some of that incredible scenery of the North Island. It's about 12 hours from top to bottom. That's a, it's a, one of the one of the, the third of the there's three iconic train journeys. There's the there's that one. There's the one from from Picton down to Christchurch, and of course the Transalpine, which goes from Christchurch to Greymouth. The other cool thing is everyone's obviously heard of Milford Sound and lesser known Doubtful mm-hmm. Sound, and people and generally this is done as a day trip out of Queenstown, but. What a lot of people don't realise is you can actually do an overnight trip, and I highly recommend the overnight trip. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> the day trips are great. But it takes about Milford Sound from Queenstown takes about 
four hours to get there. It's a long, long trip. And look, it's very scenic. It's beautiful. You get on the boat, it takes a couple of hours, um, and, then, and then you come back again to Queenstown. But I think if you've got the time, even take a night off Queenstown and just do an overnight because you'll spend, you'll, just, you'll see so much more. You do some kayaking. You'll, you're out under the stars. It's just, just a great experience. Well, here's what I recommend to my clients when they're going down to New Zealand and they're doing the South Drive, is go and stay in Tiaunau. And in oh, yeah. now they then drive through to Milford Sound. They um, get to go through the Homer Tunnel, and mm-hmm. um, and then they do the the boat thing on the Milford Sound where they go out on the boat. But on the way back, they stop off and they do the underwater observatory because none of the tours actually stop for the underwater observatory. That's and true, yeah. And the underwater observatory, for those that don't know about it, is a phenomenal place. They have their um, sea life and sea plants that you don't normally see 10 feet underwater. You normally see it hundreds of feet underwater. But for mm-hmm. some reason in this area of the world, this sea life and plant life is right there, just 10 feet underwater. So you actually mm. walk down inside this observatory and you get to see this plant life. But what I didn't realize is that as you walk down, the water changes color. And the reason it changes color is you've got fresh water actually sits on top of the salt water. And wow. so you go from the fresh water down and you see the change in color as you walk down. But when you but if the salt if the freshwater layer gets too high, they actually lower the gardens with this um, sea plant on it to pull the sea life down deeper into the salt water, so they don't get basically poisoned by the freshwater, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, if you're doing cool. one of the bus tours, you don't get to see that. No, they don't stop so, there. And then on the way back, you before going back through the Homer Tunnel, you stop off to the Chasms, and the Chasm is this really cool place. It's a little parking area. You've got a, a ten minute bush walk and you go to this area where you've got this water coming down and it's basically time and nature has created this most beautiful artwork you will ever see they have hollowed out these big rocks and boulders have been hollowed out with water over time mm-hmm. um, and it's smooth rocks that have been hollowed out and, and these boulders are so big that in some places you've got tree trunks going through these boulders through holes that have been eroded through these boulders over time and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous and you can take pictures of these smooth rocks but you don't actually get to see how beautiful it really is in the pictures the pictures just don't do it justice yeah um, and this is another advantage of self-drive that, isn't it because self-drive is yeah. where you can actually sometimes the tours can be a little bit restricted if there's stuff you really really want to see sometimes you have to yep. actually have a car to do it but yep, there's glowworm caves near here now as well there are i haven't been to those ones i've only done the waitomo ones mm-hmm yeah. But there are some places even in New Zealand where you can just go walking out across a paddock or something and go into a little bush area and there'll be some glowworms there near the water area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that way. before. Up in up in Taranaki we were out on an over, we were at a camp one time and they walked us across the road from this camp through this bush area in the dark. We weren't allowed to use flashlights because the glowworms would have turned their lights out mm-hmm. and they took us to this area that was by a river and there was this overhang for this cliff and you looked up and there were all these glowworms up there. Yeah. Just on this overhang, and it was just absolutely magic. And we just all laid down there on the ground and just looked free at tour. The free tour, yeah. Laid, looked, looked, looked up at these glowworms there at the top of this, on this overhang of this cliff for about half an hour. We're all laying there, and then we got up and we walked back to camp. <laughs> yeah. Pretty special place. Lots of unique experiences. Um, but one of my favourite ones in Melbourne. I'm going to go jump across the Tasman here to Melbourne. Was the um, Puffing Billy. Oh yeah. The train ride there, and um, because it's an older train, it's an old steam engine train, and they have the car, they have the old carriages on the back too, and it takes you. And I can't even remember the name of the lake it takes you to, but there's this beautiful lake that it um, goes from Melbourne up into the ranges there, 
and you get to see this beautiful lake, and you can do picnics up there. You can walk around the lake. It's this absolutely gorgeous area to go and visit, and then you catch Puffing Billy all the way back down again. So it's a pretty cool train ride to do on that one. Yeah, there's so much to do in Melbourne outside of Melbourne. <laughs> I mean, it's a <laughs> vibrant city, but all the tours we seem to offer in Melbourne are getting out of the city. It's uh, yep, yeah, Puffing absolutely. Billy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Matt, we are towards the end of our time together, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much of what's available in the South Pacific and Australia and New Zealand. And um, and being from New Zealand Vacations, I have to tell you that I have a new name for New Zealand now because people often ask me where my accent is from. So I like to play around with them a little bit, and I tell them that it's down under and over a bit. Well, everybody knows. Everybody thinks down under is Australia, so I just add the over a bit, and you get some very confused looks. So, if anybody ever hears me and I say down under and over a bit, I'm referring to New Zealand. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure, Helen, and um, it's good. So, you know, we're really like the the factory in the background, helping Helen put all this stuff together. And um, you know, Helen's knowledge of the South Pacific is just incredible, and it's uh, it's been a pleasure to chat to you today. Well, Matt, it's been a true pleasure to have you on here today, and I. Truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on and sharing so much wisdom about Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific because it is a phenomenal area of the world that not many people get to but many people Mm. should because it's the type of place that offers something for everybody. No matter what they like to do, they will be able to find it down there somewhere. Very Um, special. Thank you. And to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in today. Hey konera. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.